The Start Your Own Business Podcast. Hear inspiring startup stories and get reliable expert advice on how to start your business and get off to the best possible start. Brought to you by Startup Donut, helping small businesses succeed. Hello, I'm Chloe Thomas, best-selling author and award-winning podcast host. Welcome to the second season of the Start Your Own Business podcast, where I get practical advice from experts and small business owners that can help you set up a new business and get off to a great start, saving time and money along the way. In this episode, we are tackling staff, yes, employees. How can you stay legal when hiring and managing staffs. We'll be talking about why you really should stay legal. Yes, we're going to talk about those horrible penalties and issues that can come your way if you you don't do this correctly. We're going to take you through key tips on all the parts of the hiring process from the job ads to the interview and what to do, what not to do where to go for help to make sure you're ticking all the right boxes in this process because there's a fair few things to do when you hire your first employee. And then we're also going to talk about managing staff and how to set yourself up for success in that space as well because you know a lot of time and effort goes into doing this, finding the right people, bringing them on board, and of course, you're paying them money as well. So you want to make sure that you're giving them the best chance to do their best for you. So we're going to get, get into all of that imminently. Before we meet our guest though, please take time to find out about our sponsors, the Federation of Small Businesses, and how joining could be among your best business decisions. This series of the Start Your Own Business podcast is brought to you by Startup Donut in association with the Federation of Small Businesses. Running your own business is exciting. You've got a great idea, the ambition to succeed, and lots of questions about how you can make your business a success. That's why the Federation of Small Businesses is behind you every step of the way, whatever your business dreams. With FSB's Startup Hub, you'll learn business law basics, discover top tips for securing funds and hear advice from successful entrepreneurs. From startup to scale up, start your business journey with the Federation of Small Businesses. Find out more and download a free startup guide today by visiting fsb.org.uk forward slash start. Let's meet our expert, Hannah Thomas, employment law solicitor at Markel Law LLP. She writes the employment law and health and safety content for the FSB Legal Hub and provides regular updates on key employment issues affecting small businesses. Welcome, Hannah. Thank you, Chloe. Thank you, thank you for the introduction and a, and a pleasure to be here with you this morning. It's great to have you here. We're here to talk about staying legal when hiring and managing our staff why do we have to care about this? Why, why is it important to do all this correctly, legally? Uh, yeah, it's important, really important for a number of reasons. Obviously, from a reputational point of view, also in terms of managing your time, not, not being involved in disputes if you can avoid them. And of course, ultimately, uh, avoiding courts and tribunal claims. So definitely in our interest is what we're saying here. <laughs> all round, yes, definitely all them. It's a complicated thing, isn't it? Hiring and managing staff. So let's, I guess, let's start with bringing on your very, very first employee because there's some unique steps to that part of the process, isn't there? So do you want to talk us through those? No, definitely. I think, I mean, first you say it's a really exciting time. Obviously, when you're looking to recruit your first employee, obviously it's a sign that your business is growing and it's an exciting prospect. But there are a number of key steps, of course. So firstly, you need to advertise the role into new candidates. 
So you can either use a recruitment agency or you can do this yourself. Uh, and once you've found the right candidate, it's a good idea to make a job offer conditional on, for example, receipt of satisfactory references and ensuring that they have the legal right to work in the UK. And I remember that all employers have a duty to prevent illegal working and they are required to undertake pre-employment right to work checks on all staff they wish to employ to ensure they have the right to work in the UK. And doing so will provide the employer with what's called a statutory excuse to avoid paying a fine, which could otherwise be up to as much as 20000 for employing someone who, it transpires, doesn't have the legal rights work in the UK. Now, all employers are entitled to receive a written statement setting out the terms of their employment, and this should be provided by the date they start work. And this is usually done by providing a written employment contract. Now, it's not only the law to provide this, but having a written employment contract will set out the expectations and obligations and this will help avoid legal disputes where terms are otherwise uncertain. Now, including certain clauses can also help protect the employer, such as having restrictive covenants in place that protect the employer after the employee leaves, although these are usually more appropriate for more senior style sales staff or those with specialist, specialist skills. Now, if you're taking on your first employee, do remember to register as an employee with HMRC and to set up your payroll. You need to check also that you are paying the employee at least at the national minimum wage rate. And you'll need to check whether or not you need to enroll them into a workplace pension. So there's a lot of steps to go through for this first hire, isn't there? We've got to get the right legal pieces in place, the, co- the contract, I guess we could call it. Yeah. We've got to do legal checks on the employee to make sure they're actually legally allowed to work in the country. Register with HMRC as an employer, set up our PAYE, which I assume is again with HMRC. That's right. Yeah. You can use an accountant, you can use software, but yeah, you certainly need to have those steps in place. And then potentially we've got to put them into a workplace pension scheme as well, which I'm guessing is another thing to check with HMRC. Yeah. You can certainly check that online. Generally speaking, if they're earning £10,000 a year or more, then you would need to enroll, automatically enroll into a a workplace pension scheme, and the employee has the option to opt out of that if they choose to do so. But obviously, your obligation is around auto enrolment. Now, I'm guessing that as a as a lawyer dealing with these things, you are someone who often gets contacted by companies who've had the problems of not having done this right in the first place. So what are the reasons you find with those businesses that they've got themselves into trouble? What's what's the usual cause of that? Is it because it's just a really complicated process? Yeah, I mean, I think the first thing is, the first thing is do not panic. Obviously, you need to address it in a, in a cool and calm way. And obviously, if you have access to something like a legal advice line, then that's a good starting point because obviously we can help untangle and pick what to do and, and, and take things in the right direction. And then also, surprisingly in our experience, problems can arise not just from lack of knowledge, although that can be an issue, but just in, in failing to, to manage staff, for example, and failing to address problems in a timely manner as and when they arise. Or at the opposite end of the spectrum, we, we might experience like more heavy-handed management. Um, so, for example, in our experience, Small businesses may experience problems with their staff, such as disciplinary issues or poor performance. But if either been afraid to or perhaps not known quite how to tackle the situation, or maybe they just hope that the situ- situation will resolve itself without intervention. But in our experience, unfortunately, this 
rarely really works because poor employee behavior or performance tends to become somewhat entrenched. And this may eventually lead the employer to lose patience, perhaps even throw them the towel and even dismiss the employee on the spot, which of course an employer should never do, even in the case of very serious gross misconduct. Um, so a fair process in these situations will generally involve taking the time to investigate the issue of concern with staff, and if their conduct or performance doesn't improve, uh, except in the case of very serious gross misconduct, um, then the employer should issue uh, fair warnings. And we advise that it's important to follow up on consistently poor performance and take the time to honestly and fairly evaluate an employee's performance. And really important to document these conversations because this will help prevent future legal trouble. And I think this is probably a good point to mention that we have the AFCAS Code of Practice on Discipline and Grievances. And this is a good starting point for employers because this sets up guidance on how disciplinary issues and grievances should be handled. And this uh, code of practice will be referred to any judge in a tribunal hearing when deciding whether or not a dismissal is fair. So it's fascinating to see that the the challenges don't necessarily end at the point when the person has their first day. There's an awful lot of other pieces we need to do as we're managing the, the staff. But I want to jump back to the hiring place because, you know, the I guess the better a job we do in the hiring process, the better set up we are to avoid these issues in, in the future. Because if we've got all those things set up with HMRC, there's less things for, the, for our employees to get annoyed about. If we've given them a clear contract, they know what they're doing, we know what we're doing. We can iron out some of this stuff at the very beginning. And that can also happen right in the construction of the job advert itself. So before they've even come in for an interview, there's key things we need to make sure we're not doing or potentially are doing there. Would you like to, to run through those for us, please? Yeah, no, I think absolutely. And that's a really good point that it's, um, you really want to focus on the job advert itself because you want to make sure it's very clear in terms of the person specification, the job specification, where there's a job base. Is it going to be partly working from home? Are they going to be required to attend the workplace? Is there any possibility around flexible working? And also you need to ensure, of course, that job adverts aren't discriminatory. For, so, for example, we have the Equality Act 2010, and that makes discrimination and harassment at all stages of employment and including during the recruitment stage unlawful in relation to uh, benign protected characteristics. Mainly, this is age, disability, gender reassignment, marriage and civil partnership, pregnancy and maternity, race, religion or belief, sex and sexual orientation. So in terms of job adverts, obviously, the most important thing is you want them to be clear because you want to ensure that you get the right person to fill the role that you're looking to recruit for. And in terms of job adverts, don't use job titles or advertise for person qualities that suggest you have a bias for the recruitment of those with a particular characteristic, such as advertising for a Saturday girl or even advertising for someone who is energetic. Now, interestingly, I saw an article last week in the news for example, this is one of the biggest insurance companies. They've decided to ban the words energetic and enthusiastic from their job adverts because this may deter older applicants from applying. And they've recognised that the adjectives are younger age, so typical words, and they could put off over 50s applying. So obviously they've made their own recruitment decision around that in terms of wording of job advertisements. 
It's, in, it's an interesting area of, of the law, isn't it? Because it's it's clearly obvious that putting Saturday girl or we're looking for a bloke to join our team is quite clearly counter to the to the legals. But going, you know, and using energetic and everything is a, is a much kind of grayer area. So it's so it's really it's it's a really interesting one for people to to puzzle over because I've also often found in the past I've put like energetic and lively into job ads as kind of filler text because I felt I needed an adjective. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. it's kind of like, do I actually need this word in here? Is this actually representative? But what I what I also wanted to ask you about in kind of relation to this is, of course, if we're not putting in discriminatory text, we're appealing to a much wider group of candidates, aren't we? So it's actually potentially in our benefit to be abiding by the law because, you know, as we've seen businesses like B&Q do, there are older people can be fantastic employees. So we don't want to alienate them. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's a really good point. And, and from a practical viewpoint, by casting your net wider, by avoiding certain language or adjectives, which could be interpreted to be discriminatory or could put off certain people from applying, think, well, actually, this is not the job for me. And when keeping an open mind when recruiting, avoiding negative stereotyping, you do increase your chance of filling a vacant role. And I think particularly with job vacancies currently being at a record high, you want to give yourself the best chance of filling your vacancy. We've seen, for example, that employers are able to offer flexible working or perhaps hybrid working, so a mixture between home working and, and, and working in the workplace, and whose stateness in the job advert are more likely to attract a more diverse range of candidates, such as those with, who also have caring responsibilities at home, those who don't live as close to the workplace, older candidates or those with disabilities. Presumably, we have to it's not just the job ad where we have to be non-discriminatory. We need to do that in our interview questions and our interview process structure. And of course, when we actually hire the person as well. So there are any kind of do's and don'ts around the interview side of things? Uh, yeah, I mean, absolutely. So you want to reduce the risk of discrimination. And you can do this by perhaps asking the same questions of all the candidates and ensuring that you score or you evaluate those those answers consistently. Now, I say this in particular, there, there has been an employment tribunal case where, for example, one of the interviews, it was from a panel of interviewers, they went completely off script and they asked the candidate who was in their 60s questions such as, I've just noticed how old you are, you know, how's your health anyway? I mean, I, I, goodness only that I'm sure that the other interviews must have been aghast. In this case, unfortunately, it did proceed to an employment tribunal uh, claim and, and unsurprisingly, the judge did uphold the candidate's claim of age discrimination. I think it's, um, I mean, this is obviously quite an egregious sort of case, but it's important also to take notes of the candidate's answers. We would generally suggest keeping those notes up to three months because this is the uh, time limit within which someone could bring a, a claim. And also, having notes um, will help you justify your recruitment decision. In case of any queries, perhaps requests for feedback, or even legal claims, really important that your recruitment records should demonstrate that the selection decision is based on objective evidence of the candidate's ability, and that they indeed meet the relevant job and person specifications, and not based on assumptions or prejudice about the capabilities of certain groups of people sharing protected characteristics, for example. I love those those two key pieces of advice you've given us there. One being ask every interviewee the same set of questions. The easiest way in the world to keep it fair. 
and take lots of notes because I think it's it's quite intriguing, isn't it? That it's called an employment tribunal, yet someone who you haven't offered a job to can take your business to an employment tribunal because they felt like your your recruitment process wasn't fair, which I think is something people should be aware of. Because I think often people think it's only my employees who can take me to a tribunal, but actually it's also prospective candidates. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting point, actually, that and it can even be that someone's not even applied for a job, but they've seen the wording of a a job advert and they believe that that wording to be discriminatory. They could, in fact, bring a discriminatory discrimination claim in respect of the employer's recruitment arrangements. Although, I mean, this is this is this is more rare because they would have to prove that they would have applied for the role, but they were deterred from doing so by the discriminatory wording of an advert or statement. In other words, they need to have to, they need to obviously prove they suffered a detriment as a result of the discrimination. Because I mean generally speaking, employees need to be employed for two years or more before they can be, bring a claim for ordinary unfair dismissal, which is probably the most high-risk category of claims or the most common claims. So really, the recruitment stage, we're probably more likely looking at a claim on the grounds of discrimination based on a protected characteristic. And what's the likely penalty if you, you, know, if you get taken to one of these tribunals and you lose? I mean, obviously, if you get taken to the tribunal, it's time and energy and fees for you know, people who are helping you through the process. But if it all goes horribly wrong and we get we get successfully prosecuted, what's the likely um, penalties there? Yeah, I mean, I think I think the key point is that there are compensation awards the tribunal can make. I mean, the case of if you dismiss someone and the tribunal uphold a finding of unfair dismissal, then the penalty is generally capped in terms of a compensatory award of for up to um, a year's salary. There are various factors around this which could reduce a claim. For example, how like how far is it that the employee themselves um, contributed by their conduct to the dismissal? So it, it really does depend on the facts. I mean, in terms of discrimination, bear in mind that compensation is uncapped, and there are injury to feelings awards. So generally, that will be higher in terms in terms of compensation. But coming back to the point you mentioned, it really is also a real drag on a business owner's time. It's stressful, it's uncertain. If you do incur costs, legal costs in defending your claim, generally speaking, you won't get those costs back. Tribunals generally don't make award for legal costs. And there are also reputational risks, bearing in mind that tribunal judgments are published online generally. So anyone can go online and access those for free. Tribunal hearings themselves are generally open to members of the public. So, and also word of word of mouth, and then we live in a social media age where post things online and make negative statements. So, yeah, generally speaking, there are various negative aspects in terms of litigation. Well worth spending just a little bit of time getting it all right at the beginning of the process, and I, I find that amazing. Well, I don't. Part of me thinks it's it's excellent that discrimination of you know, in the job application process, it is potentially more heavily penalised than wrongful dismissal. But it is kind of mind-blowing that you could lose an awful lot more in your business by putting the wrong words in a job advert and conducting interviews badly than you could from dismissing someone in using the wrong process further down the line. Yeah. I mean, I think it's just just a question of if you're not sure, if if you're unclear, just take the time to take some legal advice because I think prevention is always better than cure and and also having 
if you don't, if you're not sure what you're doing is lawful, then how can you know uh, if you're at risk? How can you know if you're getting it wrong? Like we said several times, little bit of knowledge at the beginning and a little bit of help in the right places. Don't be afraid to ask for help. We touched on how we how we manage employees once we've got actually no first first of all before we get it back get back into managing is there anything else i haven't asked you about that a startup business should know about when getting into hiring for the first time yeah i think um when it comes to hiring staff i i, I really go back again to what we mentioned about perhaps lack of awareness like everything in life there is a learning curve but some mistakes can be more expensive or more costly to unpick than others. So it really is about knowing when to ask or knowing when to seek legal advice at at the right time. And I think if you're taking on your first employee, inevitably, this is going to be a learning curve. But it's not something that you did say. It's also a very exciting time for a small business owner. I think that employers do need to be alert to the risks, as we mentioned, of uh, avoiding unlawful discrimination also, in terms of pay, for example, businesses may overlook or not be aware of certain statutory rights that an employee has, such as the right for eligible workers to receive statutory sick pay when they're off sick, holiday pay, how to calculate holiday pay correctly, or ensuring they, they are paying the, their employee at least the national minimum wage. Yeah, just it's almost like a simple checklist of just making sure you've got all these boxes ticked. But but as we said, there are plenty of services out there that can help you for a lot less than the cost on all its fronts of going to ending up in tribunal. And actually, if you do all these things, you'll find the recruitment process a lot more straightforward and you're more likely to get, get the right person through. Now, on the subject of managing, earlier we went through some of the issues that can happen whilst whilst we're managing people. We've discussed what the potential penalties are when we if we end up doing dismissing someone badly and and ending up in a tribunal. What clearly, if there's checklists and systems we can put in place to hire the right person, I'm guessing there's some kind of policies and processes we should be building into our business to make sure we treat our staff fairly, we develop them and we build a strong relationship with them and help them and also help them move on if they're not the right fit for our business. So could you talk us through those um, a little bit, please, Hannah? I mean, I think it's, this is really important in terms of ensuring that you've got your policies in place, also ensuring that um, if you have managers or other staff that they are aware of their policies and that they actually follow them. Now, as a small business owner, you're very unlikely to have lots of written policies and the expectations are obviously not the same as, for example, a large large employer would be expected to have um, more detailed written policies. But having some of those fundamental policies in place, it's it's really important. And also important to ensure that your policies comply with law uh, and good practice and ensuring staff involved in the recruitment process and in managing staff have had equal opportunities training. But this is because where one of your staff, for example, or managers discriminate against another employee, we have had case law, which shows that the employer can be held um, what's called vicariously responsible, i.e. responsible themselves for the employee's discriminatory actions, where they have failed to adequately train staff and haven't done enough to prevent the discrimination from occurring in the first place. I I would say in short that there's pretty much no point having written procedures in the first place if employees, managers aren't aware of them or if they haven't received training around them and th- because this ultimately will expose your business to litigation risk and ultimately means you're 
not going to be managing yourself in, in an effective way. Yes, it's not just a box ticking exercise, create policy, put in folder on shelf and consider you're okay, is it? You Because I think especially, as I'm sure there's some people listening who'll be like, what if I employ someone and they do a job, bad job of, of looking after someone else in the business, then I could be in trouble? Yes, everyone. That's what, what we're saying, because it's your responsibility. You are ultimately, as your business, the employer. Anything else we should have we should have told people about managing staff just in case we've missed a great nugget? Because I haven't asked you the right, right question. <laughs> sure, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, policies are important. Remember, policies are there to provide certainty for the employer and the employee as well. Uh, so the expectations are clear on both sides. I think another thing is is it's really important to um, develop yourself if you're able to offer training opportunities. That's really important. I think the key point is obviously you want good employees to stay with you. Um, but so that training is going to encourage staff retention. Yeah, it's it's kind of get the get the onboarding process right and then invest in your people because they're going to be the heart and soul of your business and you know, if you treat them well, none of these problems we've been talking about will, be, will happen, which is is kind of the, the aim, isn't it? To keep away from all these issues. So Hannah, what, from all that we've been talking about today, what's the, I guess, the key message for the listeners? Yeah, I think my, my key takeaway point for listeners today would be Please don't let don't let problems fester and don't leave yourself exposed. And you can do this by taking relatively simple steps in terms of acting promptly and fairly as and when issues arise. And also by keeping written records to evidence you followed good practice. So in our experience, doing so both throughout the recruitment process and when managing staff should help ultimately avoid litigation and really importantly help ensure you've got happy staff that actually want to stay in your business. And ensuring that you've kept a paper trail of this good practice, then you're going to be better placed to show you took those reasonable steps to prevent any unlawful discrimination or harassment occurring from among your own staff and to show that you as an employer acted fairly and lawfully if you are ever faced with a complaint, a grievance, or even an unfair dismissal discrimination claim. Now, even if this doesn't ultimately avoid litigation, now, provided you don't keep your individual's person, personal data for longer than is necessary, necessary from a data protection perspective, having a paper trail in place should help you to bring litigation to an earlier conclusion or indeed successfully defend yourself before an employment tribunal if it does indeed come to that. Get your prep in. That's what we're saying. Get your prep in, get your paperwork in place, look after your team and it should, you shouldn't hit hit any of these, but Hannah's just given you an excellent rundown of the key things to do. Hannah, before we say goodbye, could you please let the listeners know how they can find you and your business on the web, please? Yeah, absolutely. So you can find the FSB Legal Hub, where you can access guidance and template documents on the FSB website at fsb.org.uk. Those which who are paid members of the FSB can access these resources on the hub for free. And you can also visit us at markellaw.co.uk. And how are we spelling Markel for everyone listening? Uh, yes, indeed. How are we spelling Markel? Good point. So Markel is M-A-R-K-E-L. And that's .co.uk, isn't it? Yes, it is. Excellent. Well, Hannah, thank you so much for coming on. And making the the world of employment law seem so much more straightforward than it often does. It's been a pleasure chatting with you. So thanks for coming on. Yeah, thank you, Chloe. It's been a real pleasure. 
What an excellent rundown of the legal angles to consider when hiring and managing your new team. For me, I think the really key points that Hannah gave us there was that a little advice at the early stages goes a really, really long way. Most of the things we're talking about today are incredibly easy to set up at the beginning with a phone call to a legal helpline or checking out articles on a reputable website. They are fairly simple to get straight at the beginning, and that's going to save you so much time, energy, money, potentially reputation further down the line because you're protecting yourself from things going wrong later. Secondly, do not be discriminatory when recruiting. It's potentially the worst thing you can do in the world of employment. So we've, we've run through some ways in which you can do that today. And also develop and train your staff. They are so key in your business on so many levels. You know, you're recruiting them for a reason in the first place. So make sure you're training and developing them both on how to train and develop other members of your staff so you don't get into legal problems down the line on that front, but also to help you make your business better. I hope that everything we've covered is going to to help you feel more confident about what you need to do to hire and manage staff successfully. We have covered a lot of ground in this episode. So to help you, you can find the summary notes for this episode and links to more free resources by visiting www.startupdonut.co.uk and that's donut spelt D-O-N-U-T and visiting www.startupdonut.co.uk could also really help you save time and money on these processes too. This series helps you to complete key tasks and negotiate challenges when setting up and establishing your new business. So next up in our final episode of season two, we will be covering face-to-face selling. Our guest is going to be outlining brilliant, straightforward ways to improve your sales abilities. Whether you think you're a born salesman or the idea of selling face-to-face scares you, you are going to get huge benefit from our next episode. And if you're enjoying the series, picking up valuable tips, please do spread the word to others you know who are setting up a business or thinking about it. Thanks to FSB for making both series possible. And don't forget to download their free startup guide. Details coming up in a moment. Running your own business is exciting. You've got a great idea, the ambition to succeed, and lots of questions about how you can make your business a success. That's why the Federation of Small Businesses is behind you every step of the way, whatever your business dreams. With FSB's Startup Hub, you'll learn business law basics, discover top tips for securing funding, and hear advice from successful entrepreneurs. From startup to scale up, Start your business journey with the Federation of Small Businesses. Find out more and download a free startup guide today by visiting fsb.org.uk slash start.